O God, who taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. All right. Well, we just finished up last week talking about uh, judgment. Of course, the Apostles' Creed says what? He shall what? Come again to judge the living and the dead. Um, As some translations put it, the quick and the dead. All quick means is what? Alive and moving, right? (laughs) Um, And so the... the, uh, the, 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 key, the key thing here is that um, the church has always taught that Jesus will return again. Um, right, remember, remember what the angel says in the ascension? He says, why do you stand around looking, uh, looking, uh, looking up at heaven? Uh, for what? This Lord Jesus will come again in the same way that he left, basically. Um, so the, uh, the understanding is that, uh, that the Lord's return in judgment is like a reversed ascension. Um, and so, uh, in addition to that, we also teach that at that day, what will also happen? The dead will rise. Which dead? All the dead, right? Uh, both the righteous and the unrighteous, the justified and the unjustified, all of us uh, will rise. Um, so we, we are very, you know, this is, re- this is really a tough concept for a lot of people because we kind of grow up with this idea in our minds that, uh, you know, someday we'll die and, um, and our, our bodies will just sort of be left behind in the, etern- in the kind of uh, primordial sludge of earth and our really, the really good part of us, our souls, will float up to heaven to be with God forever. Um, the problem with that is that your body is you, okay? Um, your body is every bit you, and your body is something you will have forever. Um, your body is certainly, uh, well, your body dies, but why does your body die? Why do you die? Because of sin, yes. Were you made to die? Is death in your nature? No, uh, you were made an eternal living being, okay? Um, and this is a really important thing to see. So uh, the teaching is that on the last day, all the dead will rise um, and will there be judged. Okay, but now we're going to talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So we're on page 53, starting with question 81. By the way, if you do not have a catechism, I have a ton on order, and we're just waiting for them to come. They should be flying from South Korea or wherever it is uh, very, very soon. Uh, so please be patient. Uh, look on with someone else if you can. Who is the Holy Spirit? God the Holy Spirit is the third person in the one being of the Holy Trinity, co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son and equally worthy of our honor and worship. Okay, so let's break it down. God the Holy Spirit... Who is God? God is a spirit, trinity of persons, okay? God is an eternal trinity of persons existing in these three persons, um, one God, 
Okay, so if you can just remember nothing else, one God, three persons, all right? Um, And the Holy Spirit is the third of those persons. Now, does third mean less than the other two? No, Uh, because we state here very, very later, co-equal and co-eternal. So the Holy Spirit is the third person in the one being. So how many beings does God have? One, okay. Uh, How many persons? Three, okay, there's the doctrine of the Trinity. I'm not going to take it any further than that, all right? <laughs> any, listen, anything else gets, gets dramatically confusing, okay? Uh, really, the best way is just to say one divine being, three divine persons. Simple, okay? Co-equal, meaning what? Equal in power, equal in dignity, equal in splendor, equal in majesty, equal in might. Uh, you, can, you can insert all kinds of things there. And co-eternal, meaning what? Yeah, no beginning, no end, all right? Uh, has, no, has, no, uh, has no origin, has no terminus, okay? With God the Father and God the Son, and equally worthy of our honor and worship. So some people might say, well, do we worship the Holy Spirit? And what's the answer? Yes, we do. We worship the Holy Spirit. Um, this is a this is a really this was a tough sticky point around the fourth century in the church's history. Uh, some uh, were were saying, you know, I know that we have hymns to the Holy Spirit and we have these kind of like honoring, adoring hymns to the Holy Spirit, but can we not go so far as to say the Holy Spirit is a divine person of the one of the one divine being? Can we can we not go that far? Um, and in fact, uh, in 381 at the Council of uh, Council of Constantinople, uh, these particular bishops who are called pneumatomachians, now what a, what a mouthful, right? Uh, in Greek it's much easier, but it basically means spirit fighters. Um, they were ejected summarily from the Council of Constantinople for their refusal to acknowledge the divinity, co-equality, and co-eternality of the spirit with the Father and the Son. And you might say, well, that sounds awfully harsh, but there it is. Um, And we actually see, as early as the 3rd century, these kind of hymns to the Holy Spirit. Um, And this is actually a testimony to something that I I like to talk about very often. We Anglicans like to talk about a lot. It's this this understanding of lex orandi, lex credendi, that the law of prayer establishes the law of believing. So if we pray it, then we likewise believe it. Now, does this mean that, that by praying something, we can make ourselves believe it? Well, no, but it's to say that um, there, there is a relationship between the two. They're interrelated. And that in the church's worship, um, uh, we can actually see the, the church's teaching. Okay? Um, and so this, this law of prayer establishes the law of believing, and likewise, back, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Okay? So these hymns to the Holy Spirit, um, which, by the way, did we not just sing a hymn to the Holy Spirit? Remember that one? Uh, Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, okay? Uh, and and uh, quickening powers. And this, was all, this was all intentional, by the way, um, to get us to understand that we do, worship the, we do worship the Holy Spirit. What principal names does the New Testament give to the Holy Spirit? Jesus names the Holy Spirit paraclete, the one alongside. This signifies comforter, guide, counselor, advocate, and helper. Other names for the Holy Spirit are Spirit of God, Spirit of the Father, Spirit of Christ, and Spirit of Truth. These are all the New Testament names for the Holy Spirit that are given in the New Testament. I do want to identify just a couple of them. Uh, paraclete is, uh, is a, very, um, a very simple term, meaning kind of one who comes alongside as an advocate, as a helper. Um, comforter. 
Now, is this uh, what you were most recently under in your bed this morning? Is that what it means? No. Does it mean one who pats you on the back and says, it's okay? No, it doesn't mean that. Uh, Come, meaning from the Latin, come fortis, meaning with strengthening, with uh, encouraging, and not in the sense of saying, it'll be okay, but in the sense of it being, I'm going to make you strong. The comforter. Um, guide, counselor, this is actually a legal term, one who, one who uh, advocates uh, in a legal sense, and helper. Um, so, so we have this sense in which the Holy Spirit is there to, to guide, to strengthen, to lead. Um, all those things come across. But let's ask this, this third question. What are the particular ministries of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit imparts life in all its forms throughout God's creation, unites believers to Jesus Christ, indwells each believer, convicts believers of sin, applying the saving work of Jesus to the believer's life, guides the church into all truth, fills and empowers believers through spiritual fruit and gifts given to the church, and gives understanding of the scripture which he inspired. Okay, there's a whole lot there, so let's, let's go at it. The Holy Spirit imparts life. How is it that God uh, creates life? Well, he creates things, right? And then, looking particularly at the creation of Adam, how does he take Adam, this, this heap of dust, and make him a living being? He breathes into him, right? So the breath of God is this, uh, is this um, well, how should I put this? This animating power, okay? So the Holy Spirit gives life in all its forms throughout God's creation. Um, that 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 is a it's kind of a difficult pill to swallow for us materialists, isn't it? Uh, it's we believe that we're alive because we have a heartbeat and brainwaves, yes. And yet we add to this as Christians this understanding that we are alive because God gives us life by His Spirit. Okay. Um, unites believers to Jesus Christ, indwells each believer. Now let's 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 stop there just a second. Are we really saying that God lives in us bodily by the Holy Spirit? Yes, that's what we're saying, okay? So, so the, the, the Christian understanding is that God dwells in us bodily. Okay? Convicts believers of sin. How many of you are tired of that part? Okay. Uh, but true, nonetheless, yes? Um, that, that by the Holy Spirit we are enabled to see our sin rightly. Now, can we see our sin rightly on our own power? No, okay, not well. Applies the saving work of Jesus to the believer's life. Now, this is, this is a, this I would say actually is a twofold action. Um, one is the application of, um, of justifi- justifying grace to the Christian. Uh, it's the application of, of Christ's righteousness to us. Yes? Do we need that? Okay, yes, absolutely. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. In addition to that is the application of sanctifying grace to us. Right? Do we need that? Yes, absolutely. So it's always been understood that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I receive um, even the ability to do anything good. Um, this, is, this is, by the way, is Catholic Christianity. Uh, you know, there's this kind, of, um, this kind of misnomer flying around. It's terribly bad that... Uh, Catholics believe that uh, 
that uh, you can sort of do good works apart from God's grace or apart from the Holy Spirit. And good Protestants believe that you can do it only by God's grace and only by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, every Orthodox Christian believes this and not that. Okay. Um, this was all sorted out very early in the church's history. But that is the understanding. is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able or enabled to do anything good at all. Okay. By that sanctifying grace. Um, this is... And by the way, this is the application of the saving work of Christ to us by the Holy Spirit. This is really important. Uh, guides the church into truth. What's that look like? Does that mean that the church can be led into new truths that we've never discovered before? No. Uh, you know, contrary to what a lot of people would be, truth is not this kind of like ever-developing, ever-growing body of stuff. Okay. What, who is truth? God is truth, okay? Um, God's word is truth. The Holy Spirit leads us into that, okay? Now, is that inexhaustible? Oh, yes, all right? Think, think, of, uh, think of the uh, the happy band at the end of uh, C.S. Lewis's um, Narnia series in The Last Battle. They're led into Narnia, yes? And does it ever appear that they will ever end their journey into Narnia? No, because it's this idea of further up, further in, further up, further in. And you get the impression they're going to do this forever. And it's never going to get old, never going to get boring. Um, but does that mean that, that Narnia sort of is this um, dynamic, changing thing? No, it's dynamic simply because it is. Okay? So that's the understanding there. Fills and empowers believers through spiritual fruit and gifts given to the church. Right? Paul speaks about this in Galatians. What, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Okay. Good thing to memorize, by the way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What? Against these, there is no law. Okay? Um, the understanding is that without the Holy Spirit, can we bear such fruit? No, again. And gives understanding to the Scripture which he inspired. So all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, as Paul says. Um, and in addition to that, the Holy Spirit allows us to understand it. Okay. Um, how can I put this? Understanding of the scriptures doesn't come by the application of uh, this kind of body of scholarship. Yeah? Now, you might, you might get some insight, and that's important. But it's not everything, and it's not really, at the end of the day, understanding. Um, understanding is a much, a much higher-ordered thing. Okay, how does the Holy Spirit relate to you? Jesus Christ sends the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known to me, to indwell and empower me in Christ, to bear witness that I am a child of God, to guide me into all truth, and to stir my heart continually to worship and to pray. Right. The Holy Spirit... Uh, makes Jesus known to me. All right, this, this, by the way, is very important. Um, can you just sort of come to know Jesus by your own power? No, by the way, it's called Pelagianism. You can't. Uh, you, you, you have to have the help of the Holy Spirit to know Christ. Um, to indwell and empower me. So again, this, this emphasis on indwelling, but also the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ to bear witness that I am a child of God. What does Paul say about this? Does anyone know? What is, the, what is the continual prayer of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us? Okay. Yeah, 
Paul, Paul writes, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Okay? Which is this acknowledgement that, that you are a child of God. So that even when we can't pray at all, ever had a moment like that? Okay, you'll get there, okay? <laughs> uh, the Holy Spirit prays within us. Abba, Father, calling out to the Father. To guide me into all truth. So not just to guide the church into all truth, but to guide me as well. And to stir my heart continually to worship and to pray. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? The scriptures teach that through repenting and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, I am forgiven my sins and dwell from then on by the Holy Spirit, given new life in Christ by the Spirit, and freed from the power of sin so that I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is one of those catechism questions that I wish was a bit cleaner. Uh, we're going to clean it up in the, in the coming editions. But, but we've always taught, and I think this is really important, and very difficult for some people to, to latch on to, but it's this teaching that you were granted the gift of the Holy Spirit through baptism. Um, now, is it possible that you could receive the Holy Spirit in some other way? Yes. Why? Yeah, God can do anything he wants, right? And, and is not bound um, to only sacraments. Yet, chooses to be bound to act in the sacraments. Okay? So we'll say more about that when we get to baptism. But I do want to say, for, for, for starters, that when, when, when Peter is asked on the day of Pentecost by the, by the crowd, which we're told has been cut to the heart, and they're very concerned, right? What are they concerned about? If we kill Jesus, we're in a heap of trouble, aren't we? So they say, what do we do? And what's Peter's answer? You should memorize. This is Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? And you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. Okay? And this promise is for you and your children and your children's children. So this is to say that um, what, what we teach happens in baptism, and this is from the very beginning of the church, is that you are forgiven your sins and indwelt by the Holy Spirit and other things, which we'll get to. But, uh, but uh, this is kind of one of those places where taking Scripture literally, literally is very important, right? Uh, because that's, what's, that's what he says. Um, and there are plenty of things like this. I mean, and, and I should say this as well. If our means of being um, adopted into Christ and being uh, joined to him in his death and resurrection is baptism, okay, which is what the scripture says it is, right? As many of you who are baptized into Christ, we're baptized also into his death. For many of you who have been baptized in Christ, have put on Christ. Um, this is kind of constant Pauline language regarding baptism um, and also how you are joined to Christ. Um, this is the understanding. If you're joined to Christ, what do you also get? You get his Holy Spirit. Um, now, is this, is this to say that, oh, well, my uncle had this, like, before he was baptized, had this radical experience of the Holy Spirit. He was, like, overcome by the Holy Spirit. What about him? I said, absolutely. Thanks be to God. Wonderful, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, because God does whatever he wants and can work in any way. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so the Anglican teaching is that um, a sacrament is a sure and certain means of, of grace. And by that, we simply mean that, um, that uh, well, first of all, um, in, in the word of God, scriptures, we read that this is what happens, right? 
So, so for instance, um, what, what do we re- just, just look up baptism. And you read that these things happen in baptism. It doesn't say, you know, sometimes this happens in baptism. No, it's every time. Okay? Um, sometimes when you gather around the altar, I might show up, Jesus says. No, what does he say? This is my body. This is my blood. Okay? So I, and I say that rather strongly because I think there's this kind of modern suspicion. It's also a, a rather... Um, uh, radical reformation view which is that um that because god can do whatever he wants uh and because we have proof that uh it doesn't always take right because there are people who receive sacraments who are awful uh then well god didn't work um the problem is that um, when we speak of regeneration in the biblical sense so this is getting back to baptism when we speak of regeneration in the biblical sense we're talking about being joined to christ and the the new testament's language regarding that always involves baptism. Um, and I'm, I'm being strong in, in the wording there, but, but uh, the best thing I can tell you is go get a concordance, go to your online Bible, and search B-A-P-T, and hopefully it'll just spit out a bunch of results, and you'll read all about baptism from the New, Test- from the New Testament. And, um, and, and it, is, uh, it can be rather eye-opening. Um, so that's an important thing. I should also note, uh, this is really important too, um, in the unified tradition of the church's teaching, these things are affirmed from the very beginning up till about the late 14th century, late 15th century. Uh, that anybody denies that baptism does what the church has said that it does. Okay, so go ahead. Right. Yeah, that's really important. So, so um, in in I, what I think is the proper understanding. Um, you cannot separate the grace of the sacraments from faith, right? That's really important. Um, so a great example is, how do I receive the grace of the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist? By faith, okay? Does that mean that my faith makes Jesus present? No. Jesus is, pre- Jesus is present because he says he will be, right? Do this in remembrance of me. Okay? Um, but the mode of my receiving that grace is by faith, um, in addition to that, we receive the grace of baptism by faith, in a supreme act of faith, yes? Because at the end of the day, we say, can we actually get for ourselves the grace that's there? Not at all. Uh, so we do this, I mean, kind of ridiculous thing when you think about it, right? I mean, <laughs> listen, giving a child a bath to get the, the dinner mess off of him makes a lot of sense, yes? It's eminently reasonable. To give a child this kind of bath that's supposed to wash them of sin is ridiculous. Um, and yet, what? We're told to do it. Okay. So, and I don't want to get into infant, infant baptism yet. We will get there, okay? Please, please hear me. We will get there. I don't want to get off track. We will get there in coming weeks. It's coming very quickly. It's probably coming a little too quickly, uh, but there it is. Um, uh, but, but this is, this is the statement. So I, I challenge you, look up baptism in the New Testament. Look up all these things. Um, you know, uh, Paul refers to baptism as uh, the washing of water with the word, the laver of regeneration. Um, there's just so many things. Um, you look at, look at Galatians uh, chapter 2. There's this wonderful phrase about, um, you know, um, what is it? 
there's you know this one there's no no longer Jew or Greek uh, slave or free male or female um, you are all one in Christ uh, how does he say that happens if you look up the previous verse which very few people ever do because they're looking for bait <laughs> okay baptism okay uh, and and it's just this is a constant refrain it's, it's very important to see that um, now again not dispensing with faith right because because here's the thing I've had all Five of my children baptized. I have done it personally for several of them. Uh, but why did I do this? Because I wanted them to have this grace. Yes? And my wife and I, we want our children to have that grace. Now, does this mean, oh, well, they're taken care of. Don't have to worry about anything else anymore. I mean, I don't have to raise them up in the faith. No, that's not what the liturgy says. The liturgy is absolutely emphatic. You must raise this child in the faith. Yes? That in fact, when a child grows up who's been baptized and doesn't have faith late in life, does that mean that the baptism didn't take? Not at all. In fact, Luther actually says that's an argument for infant baptism, not against it. Okay? This is really important because it's to say that it's to say that um, that uh, that we are uh, we should expect that the fruit should be there. Um, and that only in, only in sort of these odd cases should it not be. Okay. Um, well, and I shouldn't say that it should not be. I should say that um, something to the effect of that, that, that the fruits are not evident in abundance. Okay. So go ahead, Rob. Yeah, so, so you've, you've gotten to the very heart of what a sacrament is, right? A sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And we, we admin, a sacrament is administered by the very work itself, right? So, so there's this kind of uh, old phrase, which is, by the work worked, okay? So that how do you do it? You do it, right? I mean, this is really kind of a, a ex opere operanto. This is, this is the teaching, is that... How do I baptize? I baptize, right? Water and the words, okay? Um, how do I celebrate the Eucharist? Holding bread and saying the words of institution, yes? Um, invoking the Holy Spirit over them, right? This is, just, it's, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's just to say that, um, that, uh, if we're looking for the work in a sacrament, we're looking for God's work. Okay? This is absolutely key to understand. Okay? Uh, but, Rob, you're getting at this, at this understanding that, yeah, there's a, there's a relatedness between the spiritual and the material, right? And, and I would simply say, well, that shouldn't surprise any of us. Okay? Uh, we believe in the God who created both the visible and the invisible, the seen and the unseen. And... Uh, no, we're, we, we are raised to be materialists who believe, in, who believe and trust in the material world. 
Okay. We are living in the material world. Okay. <laughs> um, wow. A little Madonna just to get your day started. Um, or is that Madonna? Yeah, it is. Uh, how I thought so. Um, so it is to say that, uh, that as Christians, we believe that both are real. Both exist. But, but also not that there's extreme separation between the two. Right? That they actually do come together. Most specifically, I should say, in whom? In Jesus Christ, right, where flesh is joined to the invisible God, okay, also in us, where our flesh, our soul is joined to the Holy Spirit, okay, so that we ourselves become sacraments in a, in a, in a sense, okay. Yeah, so, so what Jonathan just said is that, um, that nature and grace have to be understood to be in, in cooperation with each other. And actually, the, the old statement from Thomas Aquinas is, grace perfects nature, okay? um, which is wonderful, right? The, the further we push them apart, we get into really some bad things, yes? So we say, well, we're going to err on the side of nature, which leads to radical secularism. Okay? which is to say that we only trust in what we can see and we actually will uh, base whole moral arguments on what we can observe scientifically. right? Uh, and then at the same time, we look at, at grace on the other end, which is to say uh, there are certain uh, Christians who completely reject any kind of natural understanding whatsoever. Uh, they, um, they might even reject some sort of nat- some, any understanding of natural theology. They would absolutely reject the idea that our bodies are worth much at all. Okay. So, so you see how we have to we have to get these together, right? Um, especially important, I should say this as well. Especially important in a in a world where the the um, the contemporary understandings are so wildly weird about this, right? Because in a sense, they're not one extreme or the other. They're trying to be both extremes at the same time. And how's that work? Not at all, right? I mean, I give you give you an example. Um, Oh, geez, let's try to do it without getting into something very controversial. Uh, um, all right, let's do, let's do the controversial one, okay? So, um, homosexuality, right? Great example. You know there's a press on, right, to prove that homosexuality is natural? Okay, prove it scientifically, that there's a gene, right? Born this way have no control whatsoever, this is how I was born, this is how I was made, so on and so forth, okay? At the same time, there's this understanding that I can't be determined by my genes, I have to be determined by who I am apart from my natural body. Do you see the, do you see the problem with the logic? Which is it? It's schizophrenic, right? So you're, you're caught between these two alternate, per, alternate worlds, right? I think the Christian understanding is, well, it's both. Which is it, science or faith? Both. Okay? So I think um, Christians tend to be very, uh, how should I put this, holistic. Okay? Uh, we tend to say, because we're sacramental, right? And we say, well, don't be, don't be suspicious of the natural world. And at the same time, don't be suspicious of the immaterial world. Right? Don't be suspicious of angels. Don't be suspicious of, uh, of don't deny the existence of demons. They're real. Okay? So do you see how all this goes together right? in, in this one package?
All right. And, and, and the best illustration we can come of that is the incarnation, ourselves personally, who are a unity of body and spirit, united to Christ through the Holy Spirit, and the sacraments, right? These natural things done in the physical world which have, which have immaterial spiritual consequences, uh, and, and I think that's one way to put it. Okay. All right, indwelled from then on, we're still in the middle of this question, by the way, uh, given new life in Christ by the Spirit and freed from the power of sin so that I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is, this is important too. Um, a lot of people today talk about uh, a second baptism. They talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I say there's no, there's no conflict really there at, on the face. What I do want to question is this understanding of that you can be a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. Okay? If you read in the Acts of the Apostles, when they encounter Christians who say things like, well, we never even heard there was a Holy Spirit, what do they do? They lay hands on them and they say, receive the Holy Spirit. Because to be a Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit is weird. Okay, <laughs> um, and, and there's some question about their baptism. And, and so, but it's to say those are not normal, those are not normal occurrences. What, what, what we rather say is that, um, um, and I think this is, this is quite important, you know, that I received the Holy Spirit when I was baptized. Okay. Did I receive the outpouring of many gifts of the Holy Spirit when I was baptized? Well, yeah. Were they absolutely apparent in, in amazing ways? Well, no, I was a baby, Right. Not to get into infant baptism. That'll come. Um, but do you, see, do you see where we're going, right? Um, that this is, this is a really key deal. What is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the very character of Jesus developing in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. By the way, this is a great thing to teach your kids. If you've got little ones, have them memorize the fruits of the Spirit um, and, and kind of say, well, what fruit of the Spirit might we work on today? <laughs> might we ask him to help us with today? By the way, I think this is, this is really important, you know, um, I should say as well. We have really lost the fine art of virtue formation. Would you agree with that? Turn on CNN tonight, Okay. Or don't turn on CNN tonight. <laughs> um, lost the fine art of virtue formation. Because we don't understand that, uh, that to become a virtuous person is to habituate a virtuous acts. Okay? We, have to be tr- we have to train ourselves to desire what is good and reject what is evil. Um, and we don't even train ourselves. We're trained by our parents. We're trained. And, of course, as Christians, we're trained by the Holy Spirit, Right? Um, so this is to say, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is the very character of Jesus uh, de- being developed in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, so I think, uh, l- let me put it this way. Um, in our parenting, we should be seeking, see, keep this nature and grace thing together for a little bit. Okay? There are good things in my kids by nature that can be radically improved, and not only improved, but, but, um, but, but made wonderful by the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we have to think about it. parents, and I'm appealing to parents, think about this means of developing the virtue of your children by praying for them when things go wrong, right? I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Um, to, to say when when they lie, what what I ought, what I ought to what, what should I do? Pray for the gift of, whole, of the Holy Spirit. Pray for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to develop goodness in them, a faithfulness in them. Okay. 
this is this is immensely important. Okay, question 87. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The many gifts of the Holy Spirit include faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, other languages, the interpretation of other languages, administration, service, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, and others. The Spirit gives to these individuals as he wills. Now, there was a, there's a, there's a, these, this is kind of the, uh, the, I would say, the new and improved list, okay? The old list is found in Isaiah. It's the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to pick those up. Wisdom, counsel, uh, knowledge, fear of the Lord, etc. This list uh, is a firm, emphatic statement that we Anglicans are not cessationists, okay? Uh, hear it that way. Do you know what cessationism is? By the way, this isn't a universal thing, but uh, it's to say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. Um, they are no longer present, no longer active in the church. I think... Um, well, the majority of Anglicans, minus like two or three I actually know who are real cessationists, uh, all hold that the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue in the church uh, for gifts of healing, um, for gifts of leadership, even the gifts of other languages. Um, I've heard the, the stories of uh, Anglican missionaries who go out into the field and uh, they encounter a, a people group they've never met before with a totally different language, and they are miraculously able to speak their language from day one. Okay? How do you account for that? Holy Spirit, right? Um, it's further to say, and I think this is really important, that gifts of healing continue to this day. So, you got time for a story? Okay. Um, when I was in seminary, uh, I served a parish in West Bend, Wisconsin, which is the place where they make toasters and stuff, uh, and or used to anyway, before the ship farmed it out to Mexico. Um, anyway, they this this little town, very depressed, uh, and this this. Um, particular Sunday, I had the privilege of driving the Archbishop of Central Africa up to West Bend because they needed a supply priest for the day, and the only one they could find was the Archbishop of Central Africa, who was on sabbatical at the seminary. So I drive him up in my old Volvo, and it was just a wonderful conversation, and at the end of everything, we're in the parish hall, and uh, this woman that I knew in the parish, uh, interesting lady, uh, she came up to Archbishop Malongo and said, I have to ask you, would you come to the hospital and pray for my son? He's dying of cancer. And Archbishop Belongo said, I'd love to come pray for your son, but I can't. I've got to be at this thing. Take, give me your hands, he says. And it's like wonderful Central African, give me your hands. <laughs> so so she, she, he takes her hands. And he basically looks up like this and he says, Lord Jesus. <laughs> and he like invokes the gift of the Holy Spirit on her hands. Then he looks her in the eye and says, without delay, go to, your, go to your son, lay your hands upon him in the name of Jesus, and pray for his immediate healing. I'm like watching this go down. And uh, so I load the archbishop in my car. We jet on off to the seminary, think nothing of it. Oh, that was really interesting. Uh, a week later, the church got a check in the mail for something like $60,000. And it was from this young man because the next day he was... They did a body scan and found no cancer in him at all. He was dying of pancreatic cancer. He was completely healed, and he had taken out one of those kind of advanced payments on your life insurance policy where you, like, get $50,000, $60,000 to just kind of cover your expenses. And he called them and said, you know, I can send it back. And they said, listen, you, you had a terminal diagnosis. When you get a terminal diagnosis, you get a payment. That's it. And he said, well, is my policy still in effect? Yes. 
okay, well, I'm going to send it. So he sent the check off to the church. Like, it was incredible. Um, but, but this is to say, why do these things happen? Because the Holy Spirit is the actor in the drama of salvation. Yes? And the gifts which are given to us from the cross are appropriated to us by the Spirit. Okay? And unless you think those just kind of died out 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit is still going to be active. Okay? So I make that point rather strongly because I have no patience for cessationism. Okay, none. All right? <laughs> when I was on the catechism, I'm on the catechesis task force, and uh, somebody saw this and said, well, that doesn't leave a lot of room for cessationism. I said, you're absolutely right. <laughs> it just doesn't, right? Because we hold that the Holy Spirit is still active. Okay? Um, all right. Why does the Holy Spirit give these gifts? The Holy Spirit equips and empowers each believer for service in the worship of Jesus Christ, for the building up of his church, and for witness and mission to the world. Okay? This is really essential. Okay? Um, it's to say this, that uh, can we just agree for just a second that God has a mission to the world? Yes, right? That, that's why he sends his son into the world, right? Why does he send his son into the world? Look to John 1. Not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Okay? God is on a saving mission to this world. And that salvation, if I can just be utterly clear, does not just simply mean, oh, well, that means I get to go to heaven when I die. Glory, hallelujah, isn't that great? Well, it is great. But that's not all. That's not everything, is it? Um, it's not sort of like I mean, I, I don't make I don't mean to make fun of it, but there's that kind of old spiritual "I'll fly away," right? Everything's so bad here, but ultimately I'll fly away and leave all this behind. It'll be so great and so wonderful. And uh, you know, when the sorrows of this life are over, I'll fly away. Okay, this is this is this is problematic American theology, right? It's to say that this world is untouched by God's grace except on the cross, and that's it. That's all we can really say. Right? No, 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 no. Through the Holy Spirit, the grace of the cross is mediated to us. Okay? This is really important. The Holy Spirit equips and empowers each believer for service and the worship of Jesus Christ and for the building up of his church and for witness and mission to the world. This is Ephesians 12, right? And his gifts were that some should be what? Apostles, evangelists, prophets, teachers, for the building up of the body of Christ. And, and the whole rationale in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 is this. That just as Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he has also descended. Why has he descended? Paul says it. So that he might give gifts to us. Right? Um, and his gifts were that. Okay? Um, so this is a, this is a really key, uh, key understanding that I think we need to take with us, which is this. And, and it's answered by, um, by the Eastern Church, which says this all the time in a lot of their prayers and a lot of their hymns. Why did Jesus ascend to the right hand of the Father? To send us the Holy Spirit, right? If I do not go uh, to prepare a place for you, um, this is kind of the constant refrain in John 15, 16. Um, you know, if I go, I can, um, oh, geez, I can't quote this directly. But basically the understanding is he's going to the Father so that he can send the Holy Spirit to us, Right? Um, and and the, sort of the, the, the disciples and we ourselves have this sort of dumb look on our face when we read that. It's like, 
wait, you mean he's going away? Uh, can he stay here with me? Uh, and, uh, and, and, it's this, and it's this constant like, well, just give me Jesus, right? Um, well, I think this is a really key point. We like to say, well, Jesus lives in me. Jesus dwells in my heart. Well, true. But he dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and I think we, we actually need to be trained up to actually believe that, um, well, who lives in me? The Holy Spirit lives in me. Okay? Uh, and that's no slight. Right? That's actually wonderful. Um, so uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's the message for today. In next week, and I do want to give a bit of a preview for it today. We're going to talk about the, we're going to talk about the Holy Catholic Church. Um, just to give you a preview, this language of Catholic may be new to some of you. Catholic is simply a Greek word meaning universal, meaning whole, meaning according to the whole. Uh, do not be afraid of it, okay? Uh, some of you were trained from a young age to be afraid of it, and it is actually a very uh, ancient word, uh, simply meaning we hold the whole faith according to the whole church, according to hold the, whole, the whole revelation of God. Um, and, uh, and so we'll be talking about the church next week. This is really, you know, something I want to spend a good amount of time on. So uh, if I go too fast next week, some of you might have to say, well, slow down, slow down, slow down. This is very key. Um, we live in a time in which uh, people are questioning the identity of the church. Um, they're subjecting the identity of the church to uh, things that they deem to be more important. So, for instance, like, what's more important, the church or the mission? <laughs> And some people say, well, the church has to be subject to our understanding of mission. Are you following me? No? Good. Okay. That, that's, that's nonsense, okay? Well, you've got to have both, right? You've got to have the whole thing. And even in a sense, I would even say that the mission has to be subject to the church. Um, because, because here's the deal. I like, I'll, I'll finish here. Um, this this really became this really came alive for me. I was reading uh, reading several of the um, several things like von Balthasar and others, sort of nerdy. But anyway, uh, I was reading this while we were in we were meeting as a church in uh, the annex of Live Oak School, which used to be an old break shop. And I was thinking about this reality that is that all of creation was designed to be a sanctuary of worship for the church forever. And so I started to think about that and pray about that as, hey, we're, we're meeting in an old break shop. That is the outward fulfillment of what we're talking about theologically, isn't it? It's to sort of claim creation as a place for the church's worship. Okay. Now, do you see how that, how that ecclesiology, in a sense, the teaching of the church, defines missiology? What we believe about mission? Absolutely. Okay. Um, the church is the body that Christ has filled with his Holy Spirit, to do his work in the world as his body. Okay? That, that is huge implications for us as a congregation and that in the whole church, right? Um, so we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, this will be a lot of fun. Don, quickly. Yep. Cessationism, yeah. Yep. It's this idea that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. Um, and uh, there, there are actually two different kinds. There's kind of like... I don't think they call themselves this, but I kind of call it hard and soft cessationism. Uh, hard cessationism says, done, kaput. Uh, soft says, well, there's occasionally some miracles, and isn't that nice? But, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit has ceased to speak. The Holy Spirit has ceased to uh, do really anything but convict us of sin, and isn't that wonderful, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sensationalism. Well, that's another problem altogether. <laughs> All right, well, we'll begin next week again with this teaching on the Holy Catholic Church.